We are back in on Super Bowl week. Yes, can it really be Super Bowl week for the LA Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals? It absolutely is. We're ready to talk about that and a lot of other subjects that are going on right now in sports media. I am merely the host, TJ Reeves. He is the guy you tune in for, for the takes, the purveyor, the owner, the operator. You you read him all the time, see him on the t- all the time on the site, sportsmediawatch.com. Good to be back with John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson, back aboard for another edition. Uh, are you making that Super Bowl uh, snacks and and uh, food and uh, whatever list and checking it twice for this weekend? It's the, it's the most gorge-yourself day with bad foods, I think, all across America. How are you? Good to be back with you. I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I bought the big thing of uh, the big thing of frozen chicken wings a few months ago or early last month, as it were. And uh, it turns out that somebody else in my in my house had also bought a big thing of chicken wings, not realizing that I was going to be buying one. So we're uh, we're pretty set. We've had chicken wings most nights over the last few over the last few weeks. <laughs> And we'll be ready for uh, for Sunday. And I know everybody's plotting and planning and uh, trying to figure it out and who's got the TV and what's going to happen for uh, for all of this. So uh, I guess let's begin right there with all of the hype getting underway. Of course, if you watch the NFL network, it is just nonstop. And they are this is by design. They move their location. Their offices are now on the property with SoFi Stadium, the new stadium in Los Angeles where they're going to play Super Bowl 56. I've been catching some of that coverage. ESPN will obviously be nonstop, uh, along with others, including NBC, building to their Super Bowl coverage. Of course, NBC also has the Olympics by design right now going on as well. John, what are your thoughts on the hype beginning early in the week here for the Super Bowl on NBC this Sunday? Well, what else are people going to talk about the Olympics? (laughs) You might as well uh, get started in that Super Bowl hype. Uh, ultimately, it's been a little while, right? Last year's Super Bowl with all the COVID stuff, you know, the, the hype wasn't the same two years ago. Kobe's passing happened right on the Sunday before the Super Bowl, and that overshadowed a lot of that hype. So it's been a couple of years since you've had normal Super Bowl hype, you know. And uh, look, I mean, what? Again, what else are you going to watch? Are you going to watch the dog days of the NBA season? Are you going to, you know, watch the Olympics? Are you going to watch... That's pretty much it, right? I mean, that's pretty much all that's going College on. College basketball, uh, PGA Tour also is playing uh-huh. at the in the uh-huh. raucous Waste Management Open, the Phoenix Open, and they try to get that thing done before you get close to kickoff. Some years it hasn't worked out that way where they go into a sudden-death playoff, and as we know, John, there's nobody watching at that point except maybe the friends yeah. and family members, but you're yeah. right. Everybody tries to get out of the way uh, of the big game. I'm just curious – uh, how much of the pregame buildup will you watch on Sunday? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that because everybody varies. None, none at all. That's all. That's the answer. Uh, you know, so you uh, will tune in about six Eastern time, right? As it's getting ready to go. And that'll be it. When the Patriots played the Falcons in the Super Bowl, I tuned in midway through the first quarter, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, no, I mean, I, I'm absolutely not watching any of the pregame coverage at all. And what's, and what's interesting is, I believe for NBC, it's on, I want to say, starting at like noon, depending on the Olympics and what else they're doing. So they're going to go for like five or six hours. And I, yeah. I still remember, I'm old enough to remember because I'm a little older than you, when there would usually be about an hour or mm-hmm. 90 minutes of pregame coverage. Yeah. Now that's well, like, you're selling it short if you don't do four hours, yeah. John, or six hours. Well, as recently as 2006, ABC carried an NBA game at noon the day it had the Super Bowl. And so their coverage of the Super Bowl did not begin until 2.30, which was, you know, only four hours, right? You know, you get four hours of coverage with the final four nowadays, uh, you know. And so back in the day, you used to get a really solid NBA game in the afternoon of the Super Bowl, uh, especially when NBC in the 90s would have the Super Bowl. I remember they had the Jazz Bulls. NBA Finals rematch before the Super Bowl in 98. You know, that's a pretty big game. Uh, but nowadays, nobody, and I don't really know why, because Super Bowl Sunday used to be a day when you'd get a really big NBA audience, right? E- even in the last year, NBC had the rights in, in 2002, and they didn't have the Super Bowl that year. They had a, a strong doubleheader. Jordan was there, Kobe, Shaq, uh, you know, and uh, the numbers were pretty good, better than average. 
But, you know, this year, ABC has Hawks Celtics, which, you know, Trey Young's not even going to watch that game. He'll be playing in it, right? Uh, so, you know, the reality is that you, you used to get good NBA games on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I know the PGA still goes up against it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I think it would be nice to see Super Bowl Sunday be a, a, a day again where you had a lot of sports because it wasn't just the NFL. It was the NFL is kind of the capstone to a really busy day of kind of fun sporting events. You get an NBA finals rematch. You obviously have the Phoenix open, you know, that kind of thing. No doubt. You're hearing the voice of John Lewis. I didn't mention this a little while ago, but again, sportsmediawatch.com is perhaps where you found the site social media link. You can follow uh, John's Twitter handle at Paulson underscore S M W spell Paulson P A U L S E N underscore S M W. That's his pseudonym. That's his, uh, his alias. So follow him there uh, through a social media link, et cetera. But the easiest way to get us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast is to follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts on any outlet, follow us. It'll come automatically to you usually earlier on in the week. Easiest one to get there. And I will make mention too, if you're a follower or a subscriber to the podcast feed, I put up a clip of Kevin Harlan who will be doing the Super Bowl on Westwood One Radio with Kurt Warner, the radio call of the game. It's the ninth consecutive season that Kurt Warner, or I'm sorry, that uh, Kevin Harlan has done the game. And I believe Kurt Warner's been with him for at least the last three or four years of the Super Bowl coverage on the national radio outlet, Westwood One. So I put up a clip on the podcast feed from time to time. We're going to do different things here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. He's a fascinating story, John. And that kind of ties in. I just want to say it here to a buddy of mine, George Offman. He's got a brother podcast called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, interviewing sports media types. This is right up your, your alley of your site, telling stories about their careers. Kevin Harlan, longtime NFL play-by-play guy on Fox and on CBS, longtime NBA play-by-play guy on Turner Sports and TNT, including the playoffs, longtime March Madness voice for CBS. So George Offman's podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, has a two-part conversation with Kevin Harlan. Part one is out. We plugged it here on your feed. Thank you, John, publicly for allowing some extra promotion. And so I'll just hit you with this real quick while we're here and while we're doing that plug. Kevin Harlan shares at the beginning of the podcast that he wanted to pursue a different career besides broadcasting when he was a teenager He really wanted to be an airline pilot. He loved airplanes. He wanted to learn how to fly. And he really began to think about, I want to be an airline. Kevin Harlan was almost an airline pilot. Somehow, I think with that voice, he would have eventually gravitated to broadcasting somehow, some way. How about that on George's podcast? I did not know that about the background of Kevin Harlan. Yeah, well, I guess uh, Kevin is uh, from the generation when being an airline pilot would have been a good job. Uh, (laughs) Certainly not something that uh, that I would have ever dreamed of doing. But, you know, look, hey, you know, uh, I'm sure he would have had a great voice for those over the intercom announcements. But outstanding line. That is an outstanding line. Well done. Yes. Can you imagine that? Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking right between the eyes. I'm hitting you with this announcement as the the way that he calls games. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'm sure it would have been uh, quite frightening for some people, probably. uh, (laughs) Used his voice the way that he can, but. Yeah. Airline pilot. That's interesting. How about that? So again, these are the stories you find out again, George's podcast. Tell me a story. I don't know. Uh, He's had the likes, uh, John, you know, this previously Michael Wilbon, Bob Costas, Mike Greenberg, uh, some real heavy hitters on the national scene. It's a Chicago centered podcast, but a lot of times he branches out to different national uh, broadcasters as well. Kevin Harlan is the featured guy. Find it wherever you get podcasts. Tell me a story. I don't know. So a plug there. Let me bring it back to, NBC, and it is believed that it will be the final game for Al Michaels calling Super Bowl 56, the longtime Emmy Award winning Hall of Fame play by play announcer working with Chris Collinsworth. What, John, the last 16 seasons, 15, mm-hmm. 16 seasons? It is believed that it is Michaels' final game there, but I know he was on a media call earlier in the week for Super Bowl week here, depending on when they're hearing us. He, he's made no pretense. He wants to continue to broadcast somewhere. Pick it up on that. 
Well, you know, I mean, why shouldn't he want to? He's still at the, no, I mean, I think he's still at the top of his game. I'll be completely real and say I'm a pretty casual viewer of the NFL. So if Al Michaels has missed a step, I wouldn't be the one to notice, right? Uh, so I don't sense that he's missed a step. I've seen people on Twitter say he's missed a step, but people on Twitter are jerks and ageists. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily surprise me to see that people are saying that. Look, I think Al is, uh, you know, 77. He doesn't sound like he's 77. We know that Marv toward the end kind of lost that power in his voice. And Marv was making mistakes that were clearly obvious, right? Calling, you know, shots that were plainly two-point shots, three-point shots, missing, mixing up names and things of that nature. Al's not doing any of that. Uh, and uh, Al still, again, he's, he's got it, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's not washed, let's put it that way, in the parlance of the day. Uh, so, yeah. Well, for example, uh, his last call, most recent call, oh, it pains me to bring this up, is the Rams' comeback win over the Buccaneers. And I have rewatched, and if you watch that with Sound Up with he and Collinsworth, it is vintage still. Yeah. I mean, he's right on it. And granted, I mean, that is an ideal, iconic type comeback situation to call. You're going to get into it, but he's on it on every call. Who's the who's the receiver? Who makes the play? He's heads up on the clock and timeouts. And what are they doing here with strategy? He's setting Collinsworth up. So I'm just putting it out there. I don't know what this broadcast is going to be, how good a game they have to do. But the last one that they did, to your point, he still got it. From what I see. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, if you want to hear Al Michaels doing a subpar job, go queue up those old NBA games he did in the mid 2000s. Right. He's not doing what he was doing then. He is still at the top of his game on the NFL. And so we know what Al Michaels sounds like when he's not doing well. We have that entire two miserable years of him doing like a part time NBA schedule and clearly not being interested in doing it. Uh, what he's doing right now is not that if that was what he was doing, then I would say, OK, fine. But he's doing what he was doing in, you know, the Super Bowl in 99, Rams-Titans, and, you know, in, in all those great games that he's done throughout the years. I don't detect any deterioration in quality whatsoever. And, you know, I mean, if we're being real, I still don't think Mike Tirico is this good on play-by-play. -play. I just don't. And that's not a slight to Tirico. I, I think that's going to be a downgrade. It's going to be a downgrade to go from the best in the business to someone who was really, really good, but not the best in the business. So that's my point of view on that. And you've said that before on this podcast for those that are new listening to it. And that's not an insult. I'm just backing you up again. You're saying almost anybody would pale against one of the best in the business. Uh, as the, the plan right now is for Tariko to replace him with Chris Collinsworth. If, you, if Educated guess. I know Richard Deitch of, uh, of The Athletic has been writing about this. There's a lot out there about will he end up, Al Michaels we're talking about, on the Amazon Prime call of Thursday night football might Troy Aikman end up being there with him how big will they go at Amazon I still I still wonder if ESPN doesn't came, yeah. come make the play again I know Andrew Marchand has written that in uh, the New York Post that ESPN might make the play to go grab Al Michaels back when he was so long on the ABC ESPN Monday night football call what's your educated guest on where you think he might end up here John as we head to his final broadcast on NBC it looks like so Al hasn't lost a step, but if ESPN picks him up, is he going to still be at the same level of quality in 2026 when they hear the Super Bowl? Okay, so we're talking about it's 2022, Al is 77, and be 81, right? Hey, we're going to have an 81-year-old president in a few years, right? So, you know, times are changing. But, you know, will Al be at 81 years old at the level of quality you need for a Super Bowl? And if he's not then you need to be putting someone in position now who will be calling that Super Bowl. I don't think it'll be Steve Levy. I don't think Steve Levy is going to get to do a Super Bowl. I don't, I mean, ESPN clearly doesn't have that kind of confidence in Levy, Riddick, and, and Greasy that would indicate that they'll be still that team, you know, when this, when the Super Bowl season happens. Um, but Al is just, you know, we'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe Al can keep it going. I mean, Vince Scully was calling games at a high level into, you know, his late eighties. Right. So, uh, you know, as long as Al has his health and has the level of quality he has now, I would say if you're ESPN, you have to go after him because they're, you know, look, we, we aren't taking seriously any of us, the idea that Levy, Riddick and Levy, Riddick and Greasy are their long-term option. And that's not a slight right. against the three. It's because ESPN has made it clear that they're not the long-term option. ESPN walks around, they do things, they send obvious signals and just pretend that nobody else can see them. 
But once you put in the Mannings there every single week and you force Levy to say every single week, hey, we're really boring. Go watch ESPN2 and listen <laughs> right. to the Mannings instead. Right. Like we know that ESPN has no commitment whatsoever to that trio. So you got a Super Bowl in 2026. Don't waste anybody's time. Let's bring in a full, you know, a team that we know you're going to want to call that Super Bowl. Obviously, they're going to want the Mannings in there for sure. But, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to get that done. But if it was Al and Peyton Manning, that'd be amazing for them. If they could get Al and Troy Aikman, that'd be amazing for them. Uh, and, um, you know, that's frankly what they should do. They should put all of their eggs in that basket. Interesting. And again, there's so many different angles. Could they get Peyton Manning to do the booth as opposed to the Manning cast? After the success of the Manning cast last year, you wouldn't think that would be uh, possible. And we keep putting this out there. I'll put it out there one more time, just real quick. They they have been grooming Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet by having them do NFL games for the possibility, John Lewis, that they will become the Monday night guys. Saturday night, primetime, college football, Monday night football, two nights later. Don't be shocked if that's what they try at some point here. It's not yeah. an accident that those guys were doing uh, a game again at the end of the regular season and an opening Monday night doubleheader game. It's not coincidence. So Yeah, but Chris Fowler is not a Super Bowl broadcaster. I mean, he's not. And, you know, Kirk Herbstreet ultimately uh, is going to need to prove himself on more than a couple of NFL games a year. Right. They are much like everyone was so enamored with Brad Nestler and uh, who was it? It was Nestler, Dick Vermeil and somebody way, right. way back. Very beginning. Right. The Monday night doubleheader. And it was like, oh, wow, they were full time. And, you know, look, anytime you are getting to do it's like being a grandparent. You have limited exposure. You don't have the same level of responsibility. So you get to be the fun alternative. Right. And uh, ultimately, there's no way. I mean, Fowler isn't even their best college football play-by-play voice. And I'm not trying to diss Chris Fowler. He made a very smart move, used his leverage to get a number one role that realistically, if we're ranking the quality of the voices that they have, he's probably number three, you know, I mean, maybe even number four. You might say Mark Jones would be someone, given his experience, who would be ahead of him, certainly Tessator. And even though I'm not a huge fan of Sean McDonough, to be completely honest, McDonough, you know, but and Fowler's ahead of all of them because he used the leverage that he had. That's all you can do in this world is use your leverage, right? And good for him that sure. he did it, but that doesn't mean that he should be calling the Super Bowl. And, and by the way, McDonough and Tessator as the college voices, they were already on Monday Night Football, and now they're back doing college football again. So it's kind of the the flip flop back and forth. We'll see what ESPN elects to do. Uh, they got to go out of. Yeah, they got to go out of, uh, they got to go out of network. Uh, I'm thinking medical. What am I talking about? Out of, uh, out of Bristol, I guess. There's a term right. for it, but I can't come up with what the term is. Uh, they've got to go to Al Michaels. He's a free agent. Get Al Michaels, get Troy Aikman. Uh, back up the Brinks truck because we know you've got the money. Uh, and uh, just stop with this, you know, attempt to do, you know, they, they look, I mean, I have no problem with Levy Griddick. Levy, Riddick, and Greasy. I keep messing up their names. I have no problem with them, realistically. I don't think they're doing a bad job. But, you know, one, we know ESPN has no confidence in them. And two, if we're being completely realistic, okay, I like Steve Levy, but he's not a Super Bowl broadcaster. A Super Bowl broadcaster is a totally different thing than calling some regular season games. And, you know, uh, we're talking about the best of the best. We're talking about Nance. We're talking about Buck. We're talking about Al Michaels. We're talking about people who will go down in that Kurt Gowdy kind of range, right? You know, and uh, ultimately, you know, Mike Patrick wouldn't have been a Super Bowl guy either when ESPN had the Sunday night games. If they were in the Super Bowl rotation, Mike Patrick wouldn't have been at that level. Correct. The reality is you're talking about the best of the best. It's the difference between being an all-star and being a Hall of Famer. You know, Steve Levy's an all-star. He's an all-star, you know. Andrew Wiggins is an all-star too, but no one's putting him in the Hall of Fame, right? So, you know, the, re- the realistic thing is that the Super Bowl is for the Hall of Famers. And so ESPN needs to get a Hall of Fame voice, not, on, not an all-star voice for the Super Bowl. With all due respect to Steve Levy, 
who I'm not trying to diss. I'm just being right. real about what, you know, where his status is as, as a broadcaster. He's a great broadcaster. Well, okay. But so let me give you, but let me give you other names. I mean, like Kevin Burkhardt is the number two guy at Fox and has been for 10 years, does a lot of stuff with the baseball, but he's never done a, a Super Bowl. Ian Eagle is another guy yeah. that we've talked about. And even Kevin Harlan, who we mentioned earlier, they're kind of at the second and the third spot. They haven't done a Super Bowl to your point. They've basically been done by three guys play by play wise for the last 20 plus years, the names you mentioned, Al Michaels, uh, along with Jim Nance and along with uh, Joe Buck, those are the three. So how, what does ABC do? Do they go back to Al Michaels? Uh, We'll see. We'll see what they do. That's the thing. That's the thing. Buck had done how many world series before he did his first Super Bowl? You know, Jim Nance had done Olympics before his first Super Bowl. The Masters, the final, the Masters, the final four. Right, right. Exactly. You've got to do a lot more than sports center and some college football and a couple of years of Monday night football to get a Super Bowl. That's all I'm saying. Well done. Well done on that. By the way, one more tease for George's podcast. I keep wetting the audience's appetite. Kevin Harlan tells this story. His first radio internship that he did, and I believe he said out of New York, I believe it was New York, he was an intern with Sean McDonough. They were the two interns at the radio place. And hear Kevin tell more of the stories on Tell Me a Story. I don't know. I'm just wetting the appetite on a brother podcast. I'm just putting that out there. And again, Kevin will be doing the Super Bowl on Westwood One Radio for the ninth consecutive year. The radio guys, for so many years, it was Jack Buck and Hank Stram. Speaking of Joe Buck, they did the Super Bowl, I believe, like 20 plus years on radio. Somebody can correct me on that uh, right in a row. Uh, doing them for CBS radio. So the radio guys oftentimes do every one of them right in a row, depending on the highest end. I'm glad you brought up those old school days. You know, I was watching Little House on the Prairie last night. He was doing a little Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) You know, I I wanted to to speak up for Merlin Olson. Merlin Olson did so many Super Bowls with uh, Mm -hmm. with, uh, Dick Enberg. And uh, he was also, of course, if you're a little house head like uh, we are in my household, uh, of course, he played one of the main characters, recurring characters anyway, on that show. And I just wanted to say about Merlin Olson, who sadly passed away a few years ago, uh, in part because of the atmospheres he was in at NBC. He blamed them for exposure to some chemicals. It was kind of a sad story, obviously. But anyway, uh, Merlin Olson was out there as a major actor and lead NFL analyst. Now, if Tony Romo ever shows up on NCIS and does an arc on NCIS, then we can put him in the same breath as Merlin Olsen, right? Uh, Merlin gets so overlooked in terms of his role in the NFL's uh, TV history. So I wanted to speak up for him. Good shout out there because he and Inberg probably did seven or eight of them for NBC. That's a conservative one. I'll tell you the one to go back and watch in the nostalgia. And it's there on YouTube if you want to go back and see it. It's the Steelers Cowboys NBC Super Bowl where Dick Inberg is the pregame host. Kurt Gowdy is at the end of his career with NBC and is doing his final game with NBC. How about this for nostalgia, John Lewis? And they have both John Brody and Merlin Olson in the booth with Kurt Gowdy. And at that time, NBC had not really figured out what are we going to do post-Kurt Gowdy? Who's it going to be? And that's when it turned to Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson for the better part, John, of what, 15 years or more, they had the run. At the same time, Pat Summerall and John Madden had the run on CBS. Those were the two on NBC. But I I have fun, speaking of Super Bowls, going back and watching the old broadcasts. And you can hear, to your point, Kurt Gowdy clearly doesn't have his fastball anymore. Those guys are on the call. It's a great game. It's the Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, Steel Curtain defense, Mean Joe Green, Jack Lambert uh, against uh, Roger Staubach, uh, Tony Dorsett. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, Hollywood Henderson, and it's a great game with those guys calling it, but Dick Inberg is the pregame guy and the halftime wow. guy because they were still trying to figure out what they were going to do. How about that for a little Super Bowl nostalgia hey, for Super Bowl yeah. week on the Sports Media Watch podcast? Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, those were certainly days when the Super Bowl was a very different event than it is today. That's for no sure. Doubt. On, but right after golf at three o'clock, and then you're off the air <laughs> for the local news, right? Exactly. Get off as quick as possible because we got to get to the nighttime primetime programming. You're exactly you know, right. That's a, that's a funny one. I actually was watching game one of the 91 NBA finals uh, probably yesterday, too. I watched a lot of old stuff. And uh, this was the last NBA finals game to ever air in the afternoon. It was Jordan versus Magic. It was on NBC, but it was a 3.30 p.m. start, which is you know unheard of to kids today. 
And uh, I was watching the game and NBC got off the air so fast. Like this was a close game too. The Bulls lost on the final possession. Right. They didn't interview. They didn't do any post-game interviews. They didn't have any wrap up with Costas. Within like 30 seconds of the game ending, they were off the air to get to the local news for Jordan versus Magic. That's amazing. It is incredible. That was Michael's first finals game. And, and by the way, uh, no internet at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you were pushing people to a cable channel to watch the postgame show. Right. Exactly what you're saying. There is no postgame show. We're <laughs> out. We're gone. The newscast is coming on. And, and, and look, I'm playing your song. Sam Perkins for the win, yep. right? Three-pointer yep. for the Lakers. And everybody thought, uh-oh, the, uh, the Lakers have won game one. Watch what they're going to do now to Michael and the Bulls. And Michael and the Bulls won four consecutive games, including the last three in L.A. to win the NBA championship right after that. So let me give you NBC's prime time. Let me give you NBC's prime timeline of that night uh, from game one of the finals. The NBA is on at three thirty in the afternoon so that NBC in prime time can air our shining moment. Don't know what that is. Expose. Expose, which I guess was some kind of news magazine. Real life with Jane Pauley. Uh, who is still doing so they were doing their versions of 60 minutes on sunday night programming keep going i guess that was the precursor to dateline right real life with jane paulie or expose okay keep going i don't think they were blowing up any jeeps on that one though Uh, and then (laughs) uh, murder (laughs) yeah murder in high places one of their awful tv movies and that was what they aired that night they were getting off the air for that lineup that's your point i mean it's not like it was a heavy hitter sunday night lineup that they would have had Uh, but uh, by the same token, you watch the old Super Bowl broadcast. Like, for example, I'm nostalgic again. And I know we've digressed on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast, but this is what you love about the podcast. I went back and watched when I first moved where I am right now in Tampa Bay in West Central Florida. We moved in the fall of 1983 where Tampa had landed the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl to be played in January of 84. So everybody was going Super Bowl crazy because which who were the teams that were going to come here and we're going to play the Buccaneers NFL team was bad that year. So by November, no one cared about the Buccaneers season. They cared about who would, who would play in the Super Bowl. Uh, and as it turns out, it's the Oakland Raiders and the Washington Redskins that ended up playing with Pat Summerall and John Madden on the call. And I still remember as a kid, how cool it was as a, as a middle school, junior high school teenager, you're like sitting in the town where they're playing the Super Bowl. I couldn't go to the game, but they're playing the Super Bowl in Tampa, and it ended up being a blowout. And I even remember the headline on the Tampa paper was Super Blowout on the on the Raiders' win. But the same thing. It was in the afternoon, long about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and they were racing to get off the air for CBS to get to 60 minutes, and you know it's coming, and get to murder, she yeah. wrote with Angela yeah. Lansbury. They were racing to get off the air with that great lineup. And then usually like a CBS Sunday night movie. And that was iconic for CBS because they had tens of millions of people that were not sports fans, John, waiting to see those shows back in the day. I still vividly and, you know, remember that Super Bowl memory. The distance between the Super Bowl and those other shows in terms of ratings was not that high, right? You're about talking that. about, you know, yeah, the Super Bowl was getting about a 40-something rating, typical, similar to what they get now back in the 70s. But, you know, everything else was kind of doing pretty well, too. So I don't know what Murder, She Wrote's ratings were back then. Uh, let's see. That 83 it was probably Super Bowl, close. I don't know, 48.6. Super Bowl was actually doing really well. I, I, right. I, I, I'm going to go back on my point. Originally, I was going to say that the Super Bowl wasn't doing that much better than the rest of TV. But there's no way Murder, She Wrote was getting a 48 rating. No way. I don't know. With the Super Bowl as a lead in for 60 minutes and whatever, they might have gotten. I don't know. I'm off the top of my head. But and I think. okay, so I think Murder, She Wrote was there because this would have been January of 84. I think it was. And then a Sunday night movie was probably what it was. But the same point, they were racing to get off the air. They did the Lombardi presentation real quick and they were racing to get off the air to get to 60 minutes and the Sunday night primetime lineup. I vividly remember that. As part of those days. How about that? So go back and, and, and watch that stuff. And again, it was a blowout game for the Raiders to come all the way to Tampa and clobber uh, the Washington Redskins uh, that day. I still remember this, too. This is hilarious. Where Irv Cross for the NFL today was standing on the field, not far on the field, but he was off the sideline and on the field during the pregame show. And someone from the NFL 
came right up beside him live on the network pregame show and screamed at him. I told you to get off the field. You're not allowed to be on the field on live TV. And it scared Irv Cross. You can go back and see this, find it somewhere on YouTube. It scared Irv, Irv Cross into silence. He didn't know what to do because he didn't know, is it a prank? Why is this guy screaming at me? Right. Uh, I, somehow, I think whoever that was that did that was probably relieved of that role, if not in that immediacy later on when they got the point across to him. Do you know what you just did and to whom on national TV? Don't ever do that again right. on uh, on one yeah. of those. That's just my thought on that speculating yeah. on that one. Uh, okay, so speaking of uh, the Super Bowl, this will be interesting. You wrote about this. Let's morph this into the Olympics, which you've been writing about on SportsMediaWatch.com and the crazy schedule of Mike Tirico. John Lewis, follow up mm -hmm. on this because at the time that we're taping, he has done the beginning of the Olympics in Beijing in China uh, for the beginning of the Winter Olympic coverage, uh, primetime coverage, and now is getting ready to go be part of the Super Bowl coverage, but it's it's back and forth. Elaborate yeah. on all of this for Mike Tirico and what we're going to see this week and this weekend. Well, Tirico, I understand it is mid-travel right now, flying back from Beijing to the United States, having completed his five-day run in Beijing, uh, slightly more days than Conan O'Brien got on the Tonight Show, and he's on his <laughs> way back to, to host the rest of the Olympics from the United States, Tonight, it'll be Maria Taylor and Craig Melvin. So uh, that'll be the duo. And then Tariko gets back into the seat tomorrow in Connecticut. Look, let's be real. This is all dumb. You know, uh, having the Olympics and the, and, and, and the Super Bowl in the same year makes sense, but you can't have the same person doing both of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, in 2026, assuming everything is the same as now, and who knows, maybe in 2026, you know, who knows what disasters await us, right? Oh, but don't even, don't start, don't start with that. But, you know, realistically, if everything is the same and Tariko is calling the Super Bowl, not just hosting it, because nobody right. cares about the Super Bowl pregame show. Okay, you could put anybody on that. It doesn't matter. Uh, if Tariko's calling the Super Bowl, he can't do the Olympics at all. You cannot have the Super Bowl play-by-play -play voice focused on alpine skiing in the two weeks before the game, right? <laughs> You've got to make sure that he is preparing for the big game, resting his voice for the big game at his highest level for the big game, which, by the way, would be his first ever Super Bowl play-by-play -play assignment. And, you know, it would be that's the second time or the third time that an African-American has ever hosted, uh, called the Super Bowl as well. Greg Gumbel got two of them. So it's kind of a it's a big deal for mm -hmm. Tariko to do it, to do it well. And ultimately, you cannot have him wasting his time on a product that is as passe as, you know, the nightly news. And that's what the Olympics is. Right. The Olympics used to be big, just like we used to know the names of Dan Rather, Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw. And guess what? The Olympics is small now. Just like nobody knows the names. David Muir. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Don't Lester Holt. Me. Lester Don't Holt. Me, Lester and Holt. And I, can't, I can't tell you on CBS. Is it still Scott? It's Nora O'Donnell. No, it's Nora okay, O'Donnell. Sorry, sorry to Nora. Flailing. I didn't know that on the nightly news. They should have just kept Bob Schieffer probably. I mean, hey, Bob is still you know, still with us and everything. Uh, uh, so they probably really should have kept Bob Schieffer because think about it. They went to Scott Pelley. They went to some other person. I Didn't don't they know. they have Connie Chung doing the nightly news at some point, I think. Way back. Way back. Yeah. But they had so. Katie Couric, Katie Couric, Scott Pelley, another person. And I genuinely don't know who that was. And now Nora O'Donnell. And they're trying to force her out and put in some guy from the morning show they, they just got to cancel that thing, you know, just let NBC and ABC have, you know, have but their it's a good point that you make. It's a, it doesn't resonate the same when everybody used to watch it in the 70s and exactly. the 80s. And it's the exactly. same thing with the, uh, the Olympics. Can I ask a dumb question? Because I read what sure. you wrote. So if I have this correct, Mike Tirico is flying to the NBC building in Stanford, Stanford, Connecticut to broadcast the Olympics from their command center where a lot of their other announcers are doing play by play and hosting or whatever. Then he's going to come to Los Angeles and be part of the Super Bowl coverage on the weekend as the host, as you mentioned. And then he's going to go back for the end of the Olympics, back to that building in Stanford, Connecticut. Can I ask a stupid question? Why did they not just accommodate him with their massive facility in Los Angeles and yeah. just have him come to L.A., do his part from there and be in Los Angeles the entire time? Is that, Am I making too much sense? No, it, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't get it. 
it's all this it's tremendously foolish right it's a complete it's nonsensical you can't have both things right one i know that they wanted the 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 promotion aspect and i get it but this is so complicated doing both of them in one year why why would you subject yourself to that when you can have one year where you're fully devoted to the winter olympics and another year where you're fully devoted to the super bowl and you're not having to give short shrift but you're talking about two very extremely complicated labor intensive events that I'm not sure they can be done really well when you're doing them both at the exact same time. So to me, why not just have the Super Bowl one year and you can put all of your focus into it and then the Winter Olympics the next year and you can put all of your focus into it rather than this nonsense of trying to have Tariko cover both at the same time. You know, I just think it, it's, it's not the wisest move in my view. Well, and uh, okay, so this is going to morph into the ratings from the weekend because I know we had an NHL All-Star game, we had an NFL Pro Bowl, and we also had Olympics coverage, and you've been looking over those numbers here as we're early in the week on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, so share some of that, which which it's got to be, not not surprisingly, because I think everybody was prepared for this, but it's got to be horrifying to NBC to see how bad it is. Go ahead. Well, you know, their numbers are very low and down about 50%. 50% from four years ago. Now, realistically, four years ago is, uh, you know, it's so different then than now. But realistically, you know, these are numbers that make you call into question, you know, the strategy, right? I mean, when you're talking about the Olympics getting 13.7 million viewers on probably what will end up being its most watched night, yes, by the diminished standards of modern television, those are still great numbers. But are they numbers that justify the billions of dollars that you're getting because or that you're paying? Because unlike with the NBA, you know, the NBA finals can do horribly. And yeah, that stinks. But that's a cable deal. The finals on ABC is irrelevant compared to the regular season and first three rounds of the playoffs on ESPN. So, you know, you have all of that inventory to make it worth your while. The Olympics is only the primetime show. That's the value. If the primetime show is diminished to this level, you know, you got to start wondering, you know, is this really, really worth it? 18 nights of, you know, dominating TV, dominating TV. Don't get me wrong. Well, that first Sunday is usually the highest rated or most watched night of, you know, an Olympics outside of the opening ceremony. You know, uh, now back in the day when you used to have a relevant figure skating team and, you know, no offense to Nathan Chen, realistically, having a great male figure skater is good, but we know the women's figure skating is the show. The same way that the women's gymnastics is the show. And not having a good women's team is, you know, that puts a ceiling on what you can do. Um, so, you know, maybe in a past Olympics, if you had a really good women's team, you might expect maybe toward the end when you have the, the women's uh, free skate, you might get your best numbers there, but that's just not the case anymore. So that first Sunday, that's the whole show. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you're getting 13, 14 million viewers across all platforms, so you're adding everything up. This is NBC putting the whole, you mm -hmm. know, kitchen sink into these numbers and you're getting fewer than 14 million. Look, I mean, it's not a bad number, but it just means that the Olympics, which let me put it this way. The Olympics has traditionally been the kind of event that at the end of the year, when I'm putting together the year end ratings list, you have to exclude it to get the other events in. So in an Olympic year, when I do my ratings list, I typically put in the top, the top events of the year outside of the NFL and the Olympics. That's where the Olympics typically is. Right now, the Olympics, you don't need to exclude it. It's right there in the mix with the Final Four and all these other events. Like It's not bigger than that. And in the past, it's been bigger than that. It's been the event that you can typically count on getting at least 20 million viewers multiple times when you can't always count on that for other events. And Right now, you're looking at something that is, you know, I mean, again, we're not that much higher than last year's NBA Finals right now. And remember, last year's NBA Finals wasn't exactly great from, from a ratings perspective. And we should keep uh, this point, too, that the previous Summer Olympics that were a year delayed, they were in the fall in September, and they were the same time delay in Tokyo when we're comparing the numbers. And the previous Winter Olympics of four years ago in South Korea were the same time delays, time displacement of a, a 13, 14 hour difference. Morning is night there, night is morning here in the United States. 
So it is an apples to apples comparison from that standpoint on the time delay for the previous two that NBC has had. We know what the truth is. They're holding out for the final uh, time here to have it in the United States in 2028, NBC. And they still have the deal for that in, in Los Angeles when the Olympics are coming uh, now six years from now uh, to have that. So they're ho- But they've paid astronomical money that they're just, I mean, John, they're just giving it away at this point. For the race. Yeah. And, you know, it's worth pointing out. Um, I mentioned that it was about uh, maybe a little bit better than the NBA finals. These numbers are right in range where the World Series was toward the end, like the, the latter games of the World Series. And that was not some kind of great World Series. This is a little this is an Olympics that is on par with a Braves Astros World Series. That's wow. ridiculous, right? So, you know, um, and it's going to get worse from here. These, these numbers are, remember, the first week of the Olympics are much stronger, particularly in the winter games, than what you will see later on. So we're going to get into some ice-cold territory, uh, mm. you know, toward that final weekend, I think. Okay. I think it is time to move into something that we enjoy doing. We've got several subjects to cover. Let's do it. Love it or leave it. Okay, love it or leave it. The Pro Bowl. I must confess, there were seven Buccaneers playing. Obviously, Tom Brady had retired. I did not watch. I saw a couple of the clips. That is not football. Even in an exhibition level, they're not playing football. They're going a quarter of the speed. They're not tackling leave it they didn't they didn't have it last year and nobody missed it okay that's me go ahead john love it or leave it on the pro bowl at this point well it was the least watched pro bowl in 16 years the olympics has something to do with that it was also the first pro bowl opposite the olympics in 16 years realistically you know it's still six million seven million viewers you know you're not getting that for a lot of things if if, if that Knicks lakers game saturday night had seven million viewers the nba would be doing backwards right now right, right? So, you know, let's be let's be real. It's still a good number. It's well below what the NFL typically gets. There are only two regular season windows all year with fewer viewers than the Pro Bowl got. And they were both anomalous windows. One was a 9.30 a.m. Sunday uh, window from London. The other one was a 5 p.m. Monday makeup game. And they both aired exclusively on NFL Network. So that should tell you where the Pro Bowl ranks in terms of interest. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't think ABC or ESPN is going to complain about having 7 million viewers on a Sunday afternoon, right? Uh, realistically, what else would they air? They'd air an NBA doubleheader, perhaps, that had half the audience, not even half, less than half the audience. What, they'd air the NHL All-Star game in that window and get, you know, a, a, a sixth of that audience. I mean, realistically, the Pro Bowl is still a big draw compared to everything else on TV. And uh, if you can get 7 million viewers for that, when NBC is not even doubling that amount for the Olympic Games in prime time, I still think it's a pretty decent rating story for the NFL to tell. Sure. And the NFL is going to keep trying to put it out there. I just I don't know what the shelf life is much more when you, you know, even even 20 years ago or so you saw blocking, tackling. They were trying. This has become two hand touch. This has become over glorified flag football almost. And. Uh, yes, they had 55,000 people there because it's Las Vegas and the new stadium and the NHL All-Star Game had been the day before and a lot of people made the weekend out of it to be around both those events. I get that. We know the NFL's king. Full disclosure, I work for an NFL team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But that's, to me, it's unwatchable is the word I'm using. I know I'm monopolizing this on Love It or Leave It. It's, it's not something that I made it a point to even watch. Um on Sunday. Any final thought on that before we move on? Well, you know, honestly, a lot of things in sports are unwatchable. I mean, a lot of television is unwatchable, right? You know, the view airs every day. There's a lot of unwatchable things (laughs) that are on TV. So, you know, uh, why should the Pro Bowl be off the air? You know, on that point. Okay, moving on. Love it or leave it. Speaking of this, uh, ESPN chose to leave it alone. I'm watching the Monday night Scott Van Pelt Sports Center that came on right after the Kansas Texas basketball game, a thrilling finish won by the Longhorns in Big 12 college basketball action. And I fully understand that ESPN is invested in recapping that game and showing the highlights, and they're showing the NBA highlights because they're the home of the NBA. 
They go to Adam Schefter for an NFL interview, and it's about Lovey Smith, who I worked with for a couple of years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the head coach. Lovey, the former Chicago Bears head coach, led them to the Super Bowl. Speaking of the Super Bowl, where they lost to another former Buccaneer head coach, Tony Dungy, and the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. But in any event, they talked to Adam Schefter about Lovey Smith getting that job. But they went on highlight after highlight, bouncing back and forth from the NBA to college basketball with no acknowledgement that Sunday became news on Sunday night and Monday morning that Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints, a prominent player in the NFL, had been arrested at the Pro Bowl, a game that ESPN and ABC had been televising. And I'm sitting back waiting for where is some coverage, some news on this, at least for a couple of minutes, and it never came. This is a star NFL player arrested for assault at an event they were covering, John Lewis, at the Pro Bowl. They were covering it all weekend. All right, so uh, am I crazy to criticize there that they left it? They left it alone? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, first I want to come completely clean about this, which is uh, I mentioned uh, in previous episodes that I'm watching a lot less ESPN nowadays, and I've actually now completely cut the cord, which means now I cannot watch ESPN even if I wanted to, which I don't want to. So uh, I did not catch uh, Scott Van Pelt on Sunday. And, uh, you know, I mean, I caught the Pro Bowl because that aired on ABC, right? right? This was actually Monday night where the news news cycle had been out for about 12 hours that he's been arrested by Las Vegas police and was not actually bonded out until Monday afternoon. And the local... You know, the local stations are maybe making mention of it, certainly in New Orleans, certainly in Las Vegas. There's other outlets making mention of it. But go ahead, finish up on your point. So, you know, with all of that said, you know, one, we know ESPN is trying to curry favor with the NFL and people might say, oh, well, they covered that whole situation with Brian Flores, you know, in a lot of depth last week. And I would say, okay, that's nice. But we know ESPN is trying to curry favor with the NFL. They're not looking to necessarily be the most aggressive they've ever been, right? You know, Don Van Natta and Seth Wickersham are still on the payroll and they still do work, but you don't see their bylines as much as you used to see them. Okay, so let's just put it that way. Uh, Realistically, you know, it's also the case that I find that there is not a great sense of urgency for assaults that athletes commit against men, which is to say the sports media stopped ignoring domestic violence but still mostly ignores other forms of assault. Like Blake Griffin punched, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was someone with the Clippers, some, you know, uh, Clippers staffer was like half his size mm-hmm. and did any coverage. And I do think that in general, people, for whatever reason, don't view that kind of assault, you know, like a, as a serious enough issue to discuss. Uh, ultimately, I don't necessarily know that that's a tenable position to hold long term, but I, you know, uh, you're not going to get the kind of coverage, even though it is a felony assault that you would have gotten for, you know, Ray Rice or anything like that. Ultimately, I think people kind of are operating on that pre-Ray Rice mindset when it comes to that kind of crime. So. But let's bring this back to they aired the Pro Bowl. He played in the game. And we now know this from the Las Vegas police. They had already uh, apparently begun their case, begun their investigation, knew that he was the suspect they were looking for. It's a fascinating point that they didn't contact the NFL, I guess, Mm -hmm. and say, hey, by the way, Alvin Kamara is about to play in your all-star game here and he's a suspect in an assault case at a nightclub and we've seen the videotape, et cetera. They arrest him after the game. And again, I didn't watch the Sunday night coverage, but we're now into Monday night where he's had a court appearance. He's bonded out. The Las Vegas police have given a brief press conference to talk about it. And there's no acknowledgement, no coverage. This is not a reserve player. This is a star player having been arrested at the Pro Bowl. And you're not even mentioning it on a news program. It would be one thing if it was an NFL game broadcast. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about SportsCenter is supposed to be their news program where they at least bring up these topics. So... I've let's said be, my piece and you've said yours as well. I understand. But let's be completely real. Sports Center isn't on the year anymore. 
you know, they may they may show it, but it's not on the air or anymore. call it or call it that. Right. You know, I mean, like it's you know, it's it's not a show of record. I will tell you that 100 percent. There's no way anyone within Bristol could possibly disagree. Sports Center is not the show of record. The news program of record is a GIF on Twitter. That's the news program of record. Okay. So, you know, if Scott Van Pelt didn't want to cover it, maybe, I mean, honestly, maybe, I mean, you said this is Monday night. Correct. Obviously, they must have known about it by Monday night, but oh, I don't Lord, know. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, he's look, sitting uh, right there talking to Adam Schefter. They had him hooked up on a Zoom. Schefter in his hotel room, by the way, bed made. You could see it in the background about the Lovey Smith hire. And I really thought sitting and watching it, he's going to bring up the Alvin Kamara arrest because it was at the Pro Bowl and he had just bonded out of jail that afternoon to come back and face the charges. And it never got brought up. <laughs> they can defend it however they would like to try to defend it. But I'm with you with what you just said. You that it used to be that ESPN maintained that was the last bastion of their journalism, where that, that they would cover things and it's a serious news thing. You can't be taken seriously as a news outlet if you're not even going to mention that story for whatever your motives are for not bringing it up. Because the highlight of the end of the Chattanooga Mercer basketball game, which they showed, it was a crazy highlight where Mercer got a steal and laid the ball in to tie it. And then Chattanooga threw the ball down the floor with like two seconds left and the kid caught it and hit a three-pointer. They were showing that and talking about that in the first 15 minutes of the Sports Center and not talking about Alvin Kamara. There's not, I'm using my John Lewis sarcastic sense of humor. There's not anybody in America that can tell you any of the players on either one of those teams without looking. And yet probably nine out of 10 that are watching SportsCenter know Alvin Kamara's name and know who he plays for. So I just thought uh, in watching that, there we go. We've gone on and on about it, but you can't, you can no longer have any moral high ground or any high ground of publicity that we're a, we're a news program of record with sports center. If you're not going to cover the news. uh, I truly believe that the greatest thing for a lot of ESPN executives would be if they no longer were expected to have that responsibility. No one else in the industry is expected to have any level of responsibility, maybe NBC with the Olympics, but ESPN, I am reasonably sure there are executives there that would do backflips if no, they were no longer expected to ever report any news that made their partners look bad. That whole journalistic enterprise is something that they've probably always been doing grudgingly, but Bob Lee was the only thing holding that thing up, right? right. He was the load-bearing wall. They don't want to do it. They want to just air the games and rake in the money. They don't want to do any of that stuff that's complicated or strange or makes people feel bad. You know, they are looking for that opiate of the masses thing. That's what they want. And they certainly want to make their partners happy. And, uh, you know, the day that ESPN is no longer expected to have any kind of journalistic responsibility will be a day that I think a lot of people in Bristol will celebrate. There you go on that one. Okay, time for one more. Love it or leave it. Super Bowl commercials. Everybody's going to talk about these. There's millions of dollars on the line every 30 seconds, every 60 seconds for the ads. There's wagering you can do now all over the place on what's the first ad going to be and uh, et cetera, et cetera. John, love it or leave it when the Super Bowl ads start running for you for the game. I understand it's a necessary evil, you know. Uh, And uh, look, let's, I mean, there's so little talent out there today. There's so little talent, uh, you know, and I'm not even necessarily saying there was talent back in the day, but I, people would have to aspire to get to the level of the was up commercials. Now they would have to strive to get to that level of quality. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, they're all the Super Bowl commercials are going to be terrible. They're going to be either very weak humor uh, or, you know, they're going to be very sappy and, you know, or maybe another one of those miserable commercials just like it's the third quarter and America's got to get back up on its feet. And it's like, oh, please, you know, and uh, look. And you uh, can do it with a Chevy truck. Yes, I exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Are so, you saying you know, you're not longing for another edition of MC Hammer? You can't touch this Cheetos commercial because you've got the Cheetos dust all over your fingers. That was a Super Bowl ad uh, for one year where they had like three versions of you can't touch this, right? I want to share a Super Bowl ad idea that I had. It can't happen anymore, unfortunately. Okay. But I always thought, and I don't know what company this would be, 
but it would basically be uh, the facts of life, right? All the characters in the facts mm -hmm. of life in their current ages. And Mrs. Garrett is like, you know, reading the end of a book. And then she says, okay, that's it. That's the final fact of life. And the joke is she's been reading them the facts of life for like 40 years and their whole lives have passed them by. And then you're like, we've wasted our lives learning the facts of life. That's, That's why pretty good. So who do we pitch that to these, these marketing companies, these branding companies get millions of dollars. You've got a great idea. Who do we pitch this to for their ad? Would it be like a, a clothing Geico, line, right? the clothes they're wearing? Would it be a beverage they're drinking? We got to We got to tie no. it in. And then we got to, then we got to be Geico. The only company that would be good for that is Geico. Every other company right, would, right. would throw me out of the room, but Geico might be the one where they would say, okay, we could do that. Yeah. Uh, better than the cavemen. The cavemen always uh, made it around and Geico has been around doing it a long time too. Uh, I was just thinking when you were saying this, because again, we, we go along the same lines with the NBA and fandom of the eighties and the nineties, the Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, McDonald's commercials, you know, over the rafters, off the floor, off the <laughs> backboard and in uh, nothing but net for the horse game that they were playing with McDonald's hamburgers and fries. I mean, 30 plus years later, that's still arguably the most effective uh, Super Bowl ad or one of them that still has the lasting impression. I say my biased opinion, John, on Super Bowl ads. Uh, well, we I didn't know even know that was a Super Bowl ad. That I was, was a Super, Super Bowl, Bowl ad, correct. When, and, they, and they actually, I want to say in like two parts, they were playing horse at the beginning with some different stuff and eating the burgers and fries. And they came back for the second half of the horse game later on with another ad. And, they, and, and the way that it ended, if I'm remembering correctly, is they were going to go on indefinitely. So they just called it a tie and ate their McDonald's hamburgers and walked off and they put the golden arches on the screen. And yeah. that was it uh, from, the, uh, from the Super Bowl ad. But to me, you're not going to top that one. Now we're going to see plenty of them for cars. Bud Light will have plenty of them. The beer sponsors, Taco Bell, which is uh, so huge and enormous with the younger generation, will probably have some ads and there'll be some humor. You're just basically a leave it guy. I can tell on those. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, our shared culture in terms of entertainment is not good right now, right? Uh, and I just don't feel like there's going to be any manifestation of that shared culture on Sunday that is not cringeworthy. So for me, I have, I mean, leave it understates, you know, uh, how I feel about those Super Bowl ads coming up. Put it, put it with heavyweights and push it off a boat in the ocean, John says. Uh, no, shoot it off into space. Or shoot it off into the sun. Right. One of those. All right. So we've pretty well come to the end of another edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Anything else in closing here that we did uh, leave out this Super Bowl week and with everything that's happening? Anything else? Yes. The other CBS Evening News anchor is Jeff Glore. And I'm sure that Jeff Glore even doesn't remember that Jeff he Glore. He and his family appreciate you remembering him. I would have never come up with that name. Uh, yes, I had to that. go to Wikipedia. I had to go to Wikipedia. So we, we trust Wikipedia these days. I guess we do. Here's my question uh, yeah. on this Super Bowl where everything is at such a premium. How much will we see Lester Holt mentioning the NBC nightly news or Dateline NBC? And I can't even tell you who the hosts are because Dateline usually runs on Sunday night and on weekend nights. Will they give them a little pop? Will they give them a 15, 30 seconds, 60 second pop. Hey, everybody, it's Lester Holt. Watch the NBC Nightly News this week at 6.30 Eastern time. They got, they they might, have, they, they're going to take advantage of that, aren't they? They might do that for uh, Lester. They're not doing that for, for, for Dateline. Dateline, <laughs> come on. I'm pretty sure Stone Phillips is still anchoring that thing. So. No, he's long gone. On every episode, it is what happened to the girlfriend or the wife. And we know who the chief suspect is in every case, the husband, the ex-husband, the boyfriend. That's what it's become. That's what we've become now at the end of this show. But I bring it back to sportsmediawatch.com. John will be writing all about the Super Bowl coverage, the Olympics, and everything happening with this week. We're getting closer to March and Selection Sunday and March Madness as well. Uh, yes. John, I always appreciate hanging out here with you on the podcast. And uh, good luck with, uh, with everything going on this week. And we get ready for the Rams and the Bengals, do I sneak a prediction from you, by the way, for the actual game? Is this L.A. making it two years in a row where the home team wins the Super Bowl in their own stadium? Or is this the Cincinnati Bengals doing something 
that nobody saw coming, and that is somehow winning the Super Bowl a couple of years after a two-win season? Um, I don't know. I, I think I've still got the Bucks personally. And I, I still, Brady will still find a way to pull it out. Uh, you're playing, you're playing my song to make me feel better on that. Well, we'll see. Will it, I mean, if Cincinnati wins, what a wild redemption story uh, of being the laughing stock, one of the cheapest organizations in all of sports to have turned this around. They are 60 minutes away from winning the whole thing. And they've been here on the cusp before and not been able to do it. But let's well, uh, let's see. Or will it be the Rams with all those stars and Hollywood in their own stadium, John? If the Bengals out. can do it, then the Lions can do it, right? Oh my gosh! Don't don't get too crazy now yeah. on the podcast, John. Thanks. We'll be reading the site, SportsMediaWatch.com. Appreciate it as always. Hey, no problem. There is John Lewis. I am merely T.J. Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe on this podcast: Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever Spreaker, wherever you get podcasts. You can find us on SportsMediaWatch.com. For now, we're good. Enjoy the Super Bowl and all the coverage, the Olympics wrapping up. Again, John writing all about it on SportsMediaWatch.com. For now, we're done on the podcast. Bye.